Hello everyone, this is Aisha from Footloose with Shrey and Aish. Today as a guest we have uh, with us uh, a very dear friend of mine from Bombay, Walid Hussain. And uh, Walid is a writer, editor, photographer, mentor and teacher. And he spent a good uh, spent a good part of the last 20 years as a print and digital journalist while also wearing many different hats. He has headed the newsrooms of two national dailies in Mumbai and New Delhi and been associated with uh, the Times of India, the New Indian Express, uh, the Morning Standard, Midday and Crick Info among many others. And uh, he's also a history and architecture enthusiast uh, and he's always en route to somewhere, you know, whether physically, virtually, mentally or spiritually. And uh, a passionate journalist, he however remains a Sufi at heart. Many of you know of my love for food and Walid was my kebab procurer and then he was my tour guide because he took me to these amazing places in the middle of Bhindi Bazaar and Normandy Ali Road in Bombay and showed me the Minara Masjid which is on one of these Iranian streets and it's next to this Persian uh, chai shop which is called Chai Khane where you actually get Persian tea which you sip through your <laughs> You know, by putting a putting a sugar thing in there, and then there was a hammam, and he went to the hammam. I think did you go to the hammam or not? Finally, yeah, yeah, I have. No, I I have initially, like in the early stages. I when I when I discovered it, I actually went and tried it, and then I never wanted to go back to it again because it was a it was it was really um, you know a stripped down version of what an actual hammam works like. Hmm. I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm pardon yeah. my ignorance, but what is a hammam? I know the hammam soap. Other than that, I don't know what what this. No, is. actually, hammam literal translation is bathroom. Like a, ah, a okay. in in let's to be more specific, you know, it's you like know a shower room. Turkish baths that they talk about. Yes, the Roman yes, baths, yes. The Turkish baths. Yes, that is that is the hammam. hammam. Yes. Ah, okay, okay. In fact, I think yes. you've been to uh, Turkish baths in Turkey as well, na? Yes, yes. Well, there would. they would just be called baths. Yeah, no, which is what hamam. which is what they say hamam. Yeah, we, that hamam. is yeah, that is the, the that is the meaning hamam. of the word. The yeah. word is yeah. hamam, right? Uh, I mean, in, in, so is it like Turkish or is it like Persian? I think it's Persian, no. Uh, no, Persian um, words are more what you will find in Urdu. So the mix of uh, Turkish. Uh, mm-hmm. whatever Turkish words, Turkish alphabet as well as Persian. Mm-hmm. Together you will find them in Urdu but uh, on their own uh, there are a set of uh, set of words that are common to all three languages Turkish, mm-hmm. Persian and Arabic. Okay. okay. And then all three of them together are like the mother, uncle, father, stepmother of Urdu. So it's uh, yeah, that's where all the uh, terms and words actually were taken from and then uh, what we formed in Urdu is like a beautiful language which has uh, influences from like three different uh, you know, uh, Arab, you know Arabic languages. Hmm. Yes, yes, that way. So that's yeah. the that's the core. So a lot of uh, when you when you actually speak here or if you go to Iran or if you go to Turkey and you speak about the words, you'll find a lot of these um, very common words and you say, yeah, I do understand this. Like Adalat is yeah. uh, is a yeah. court. So now Adalat is, uh, is Turkish. 
सो इज हमाम सो इज बल्दिया सो इज अलबत्ता सो इज हवा सो ऑल दीज वर्ड आर वेरी कॉमन सो इफ यू इफ यू एवर डू कम अक्रॉस दैम इन लिटरेचर इट विल सीम लाइक ओ यू बॉर्ड इट फ्रॉम आस बट एक्चुअली I was watching this um, this news uh, article that came out after there was this, uh, the the bombing in an Afghani school, and uh, they were they were basically talking to the families there. Yeah. And that's when I mean, uh, uh, apart from the sheer tragedy of the whole thing, I was also listening to the language that they were speaking in Dari. Afghani language. Sorry? Dari. Correct. And I noticed that I could I recognize some words there, and. Uh, that was odd because it's a very different language right but i'm clearly it has some um connections with so dari is very similar to persian and persian has a lot of like obviously a lot of hindi words that you are familiar with that ek ek bed like uh, subs for you know green you know things like that yeah, yeah. i mean i am very yeah. very persian hazar and all they have those words words you know, so correct, correct. So a lot of those words are common. So Dari is very similar yeah. to that. Pushto, the other uh, other Afghan language is not so much, uh, you know, similar. Like it's it's a bit different. So yeah. Okay, I can just explain that. I can actually explain why you think that Afghani, Afghani, Dari, and Pashto, and Mari are all similar in ways. It's because um, I'll just take you back. I'll take about a minute. I'll just take you back to the earlier civilizations. How power circles worked in the subcontinent. Now, in the initial stages, Mesopotamia and Persia were the strong civilizations, which meant that they were the ones that controlled the region. Uh, the region that we know today as Pakistan, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan are all bordering towns of current-day Iran, but were initially part of the Persian Empire. Yeah, and those areas were mostly inhabited by tribals who were not uh, educated enough to be able to consume and use the authentic Persian, which was the upper-class language. Therefore, their derivation of their own language, which was the tribal, with an association of Persian as well as all other uh, dialects around them, uh, uh, turned into what we today know as uh, Pashto and and Dari. Okay. So that right. influence in that entire region will always be there. Similarly, when the Persians declined, the Turks came up, which is when we had the Ottoman Empire. So then, the, when the Turks came up. they uh, in many ways uh, sort of ruled what is modern day egypt what is modern day saudi arabia jordan cyprus even up to parts of italy um, and, and the northern and you know southern europe were all part of uh, uh, Turk, the turkish empire so which is why a lot of greece cyprus uh, has an influence of uh, in fact even spain the andalus area which yeah, has uh, yeah. islamic influence so all of these will have influence the, uh, but the andalusia was more the moors from africa right that's uh, those like, were the seljuks the seljuks yeah. they were pre they were pre turks they were between yeah. 1000 uh, 1080 to 1030 35 ad uh, the turks started somewhere around 1300 like 1280 post 1280 uh, 1280 usman came to power And from 1280 onwards, it was the Ottomans till the First World War when mm, uh, when, yeah. when they lost, yeah, when they lost. Atatürk, so, Atatürk came in. Yes. So you will also find a lot of uh, influence of uh, Turkey in Germany, and similarly, you will also find food influences, which is how the food travels yeah. across. Because when people move 
um they move with their habits they move with their homes with their architecture that's how um you know things move across and you can if you just look through history books you can see the spread of how uh, a particular civilization moved from one zone to another and then from there on what happened to them so after the turks then the turks declined then in india the moguls came into power so once the moguls came into power the turkish uh, noblemen as well as the persian noblemen came to uh, the mughal courts and started working here and living here so which is why the mughal language the mughal official language was persian it was not hindi it was not yeah. uh, urdu whatever it was it was persian so most of our documents from the early era of uh, both babur humayun akbar were all in persian even up till jahangir most of documents are in 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 persian originally and then later once urdu was developed they were all translated into urdu because the script is the same so it was easier to just translate it from from that Yeah. and that is where you know where we got our kebabs we got our biryanis we got our curries we got our tandoor all of that has come from that particular region and then stayed here then we bettered it then we sort of you know what we made it, yeah, we made it uh, better by yeah because we had we had more spices here we had more uh, more spices freely available in the indian subcontinent so you know once the biryani officially came to india then we spread it across uh, the subcontinent and every region got its own version so there's a bengali version of the biryani yeah. there's an avadi biryani there's a hyderabadi biryani now the hyderabadi biryani has a lot of turkish influence because uh, the uh, the nizam there married the turkish princess so she brought in her food habits there was his deccani food habits and then his cook was avadi so there was a marriage of avad uh, hyderabadi deccani as well as turkish uh, you know whatever delicacies to together to produce what is today hyderabadi cuisine so it's a I'm mix of i'm already salivating now <laughs> i swear just i'm just thinking about it it's a, i saw something similar on this uh, on this um um uh, epi- on, on on this particular tv series called राजा रसोई और अन्य कहानिया I remember this one episode where they spoke about how um Peshwas from Maharashtra when they moved to Indore they brought some things with them and you know it was it's it was pretty pretty interesting it's always interesting to see these kinds of um, mixtures of cultures happening over time like it keeps happening yes, rise and fall and rise true. and fall it's, it's very true. very So, and what happens is that we end up like the next generation usually ends up with a cocktail of a lot of these uh, influences mm-hmm. and then we pass it on to the next generation with our set of con- uh, you know whatever influences and cocktails to make it what it is uh, in the next generation so and so forth like yeah. the simple like the simple uh, uh, the mutton nihari that is uh, famous all over because of whatever delhi so it said that the nihari developed in delhi which is actually true but it's a, it's a derivation of uh, several other uh, delicacies that actually reached there they added few things to it and then sort of made it what it is and it was to be consumed only in those conditions uh, what we start what we have actually started doing is that we consume it under any and every condition especially under uh, monsoon conditions because the the ad, the whole advent of the nihari was to ensure that you had a stronger immune system 
right and that would happen and that would happen because the water of supply around them was not pure enough and people used to fall ill a lot because the water was contaminated so in order to fight the contamination of the water they developed the nahari with all of its spices in such a way that it had to um, be allowed it had to allow the uh, person to have a higher or better immune system now with that amount of high level of spices if you take that to the southern region of india which is closer to the equator which is anyways hotter that's not going to be able to work for the person because they uh, the, the person may not be able to digest those kind of hot spices so it doesn't work in the south but it does work in the north because it's not as more colder so they also have colder conditions for about a few months they have uh, a bad uh, you know water system the yamuna has been um, polluted for years rather rather not oh just years actually decades it's so the influence so yes yeah so the influence of the yamuna as well as the ganga to the water table around the northern plateau helps um, uh, a dish like nahari prosper because the water that they eventually end up consuming is contaminated and over the years yes the body has got used to it initially there was a repulsion which is when they needed something uh, from the hakims to sort of you know counter that but now if you see it has uh, the the bodies have also evolved evolved and adapted to that sort of level of contamination in their uh, water tables so which is why they consume it but they don't get affected that much so you were talking about how the next generation is a part of a new cocktail culture so uh, sufism the whole the whole idea of sufism is also born out of that kind of a cocktail so can you tell me a bit more about that part of sufism appeals to you sure okay so uh, firstly um, the definition of sufism is uh, sort of you know a confusing one for a lot of people so sufism per se has nothing to do with islam sufism by itself is a way of life it is not uh, it is not a sect of islam it is not a derivation of islam and you don't, one does not have to be a muslim to be a sufi now what does a sufi actually mean so a sufi per se in the actual translated word means someone who gives up something so if you if you give up now the sufism concept is you give up your desires you give up your worldly treasures you give up possessions and you live a simpler life now in order to live a simple life and in order to give up your um, you know worldly possessions you don't need to be a muslim a christian or hindu or any other religion that you follow you need to be pure from inside so sufism per se is about purity of the heart and of the soul of your own self so it can be practiced across um, religions right? one could be a hindu and still be a sufi one could be a muslim and be a sufi one could be a christian actually christians should actually all be sufis because you know christ was a sufi in in that uh, definition of sense because you know he had no worldly possessions he gave up most things he lived a very simple and austere life so if you look at it yes you could say that you know jesus isa uh, whatever in whatever names we call him He's actually okay, the the perfect it's, example. It's funny, it's funny you mentioned that because I used to work at a church in Australia. It was a uniting church uh, mm. in uh, in um, Brisbane, and they actually had a board which said Jesus was a refugee, you know. And I found it interesting because uh, they were a, a large part of the churches. The church was a, a partner of UNHCR, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, and they were into helping refugees in Australia. uh you know assimilate into the australian culture and you know provide them jobs and you know things like that and apply right. for asylum so but they had an interesting tag like so jesus was a refugee i mean it's uh, i had i don't think in india 
anybody has ever mentioned that to me because i have i have studied in a protestant school and a catholic college and i have a lot of christian friends but i don't think you hear that you know <laughs> yeah no true is, true that the, is true that is the true the problem is is what happens is that um um christians catholics um hindus muslims whatever they they view the world through these lenses of religion right and religion is basically a man made concept there is no um i often say that without spirituality religion is nothing so if you if you you may have a uh, you know a certain way of life or you may have certain belief systems and whatever but if you don't um it's like <clears throat> it's like walid said um a sufi is somebody who lives a a, a very an austere life a celibate life an austere life and to me from the from the concepts of sufism that i have come across because sufism is very close to my heart as well because the spiritual path i follow is very closely aligned to the the precepts of sufism so it's it's basically the esoteric of what i've heard of, of heard of, of it to you know of it defined as is it's it's like the esoteric or the mystical aspect of the religion islam so it's although it is not directly related to islam they come the the sufi saints um of of yore came from the same region from where islam was born so they often are interconnected to each other and uh, but basically what they did practice was um inner engineering they focused on their on the inner environment more than the external environment of um sensory perceptions or the material life or whatever they focused on um cultivating themselves from the inside and therefore raising their consciousness so they could um uh, experience you know the cosmic consciousness as it were so when you look at when you look at all these other all all religions as such they all have their own beliefs so they'll all say that okay this was so and so and this was so and so so i'm not surprised that you've not heard anyone say that jesus was a refugee i don't know what context in india like in india in i i heard it in australia so <laughs> so but what was the context of of mentioning that what is the no i mean like i'm saying like you know the, in australia one of the biggest uh, uh so a, a large number of refugees who come to australia uh, right now like you know over the last 2 uh, 10 years decade or so have come from the middle east syria or mm-hmm. uh, yep. a lot of them from afghanistan a lot of them from iran uh, a lot of them from iraq you know mainly war zones and yeah. uh, of course there are quite a few from the south pacific as well from all these small islands and things like that like vanuatu and Stuff. but uh, mainly from the the bulk has come from these places and they ask for asylum now australia being uh, you know traditionally i mean australia had a white australia policy which started in 1901 and ended in 1970 yeah. so the policy is gone but uh, they still have this uh, this inherent thing about you know having people of other color come in so there's you know there's there is a discrimination like there is a slight uh, I yeah, mean, yeah, no, I understand that. What that is a discrimination, is that, uh, and especially when, like you know, there was a phase where there were too many Muslim refugees coming in. Yeah, 
from the Middle East, and yeah. because Australia has a small population, it's a population of like what twenty, twenty-two million. It was in two thousand fourteen, fifteen when I was there. Yeah, so the population of the country was smaller than the population of Bombay. You know, so you can imagine that. No, the smaller than the population of Andheri, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, so you can imagine, like you know, the entire entire Australia can live in Andheri. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. We'll adjust. Yeah, we'll adjust. <laughs> But my, my uh, Ish, Ish, uh, my question to you was this: that the thing that they put up on that church, yeah. that Jesus Christ, so, 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 so that's what I'm saying. What I'm did ca- they mean by yeah, that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm coming to that. The point is that the, because the church was helping refugees, they needed to put it out there uh, to prevent, uh, you know, like. So there were a lot of attacks against refugees from Islamic countries. You know, like a lot of verbal attacks, a lot of racist attacks. So to drive home the point that even Jesus was a refugee, that's that's how they drove home the point that it's it's okay. You know, our our job is to house refugees, and even Jesus was a refugee. That's that's how they drove home the point. You know, it's also true. But it is true. Yeah. It is true. Historically, he was a refugee also, that because is, he was that driven, is true. Uh, driven out yeah, by the Romans. By, yeah, by the yeah. Romans. Yeah, he was. He was driven out. So, so the whole concept of you know the of Christ and his twelve disciples. Now that was because uh, he was driven away from his home by the Romans, who who uh, realized that this man was propagating a new religion which did not uh, coincide with the Take Roman away. beliefs. Yeah. yeah, and as well at the same time, he was also getting more popular because yeah. the the followers of Jesus had said that our King is here, and they had yes. uh, informally crowned Jesus as the King, which the Roman kings could not fat, you know could not Follow. digest for that matter because they were kings and gods at the same time. So who is this? Uh, who is this shepherd um you know lowly character who has come forward and is now becoming king so according to them uh, and they still refer to him as the shepherd so mm-hmm. they don't really refer to the shepherd as a noble profession they look down upon it yeah. so which is why which is why when he moved now uh, it's not just jesus who was a refugee moses was a refugee abraham yeah, was a refugee and so was even prophet muhammad even he was yeah. a refugee because he was uh, he left um, you know mecca and was forced to migrate to uh, medina which is called the hijra which also is the is the date from which the islamic calendar is counted the the islamic calendar yeah. hijra is from the time when uh, when muhammad moved from mecca to uh, medina so from there we we count that car- uh, that calendar so if you if you go back to see you know refugees have been um, have been around for centuries and not just uh, normal people even people from uh, religion who held who were prophets who were messengers even they have been refugees so in order yes. to um, uh, you know bring the point back to what your question was about jesus being a refugee it's also to uh, allow people to drop their misconceptions that you know every leader of religion is a king or a, is of royal blood no right. they, they had to tell it they have to spell it out to people that look uh, jesus was a shepherd So please do not look down on shepherds. Jesus was a refugee. So please come forward and help. Jesus said, "Love thy neighbor." So please come forward and donate. You know, love yeah. your neighbor. These guys are your neighbors. So sometimes what has what happens is in the way of our urban lives, we tend to we tend to be religious, but we sort of forget its core values. You know, we forget Correct. what our religion actually tells us. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same for Islam. And I'll come back to why <coughs> Sufis travel so much. 
is because of their connection to islam one now the prophet himself uh, has told um, the mass muslim population that you must travel you must travel the world and you must learn you must see new things you must pick up on new uh, traditions new cultures new food habits you should try new things so he said go out and travel because that's the best way to get an education and which is why most sufis who follow islam uh, follow that uh, one concept and then the second one is because they don't have any possessions they are nomads they have no reason to stick around a place so they have every every reason mm-hmm. yeah they have every reason to to travel and to look at um, you know other places and explore and what happens is when most sufis move from a place to another place it's an anomaly because they are people who are not the not what you see around yourself you know in in society you would you would always uh, um you know count a person with the riches and the values and the property he or she has you know mm. so the richest man in the village is usually the most respected and then in comes a fakir literally with uh, with a bowl and a stick and you know uh, maybe a, a jhola or something and 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 the entire population you know uh, runs around after that guy so the guy with all the riches is like um, what just happened because just you know i've got yeah. <laughs> yeah i i've got all the money in the world i i own half this village and and the entire village goes and sits in this guy's um, hut mint or whatever that little shanty it is that he lives in so you know they can't take take that you know that they, they can understand that so then you have to sort of bring it out to them and make them understand the concept that your life is a journey mm-hmm. ultimately you're going to leave everything that is in this world on this planet you're not going to take anything with you the egyptians are a, are, a, are a live and rich example of that all of their lives the, the pharaohs and the monarchs uh, accumulated money accumulated riches and even buried that with them and today what 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 is happening is the um, grave thieves go in throw their bones out pick up their riches and walk away so they never got any of those riches to use even after death even though they believed they could use it and that's a perfect example that um, that we that we hear in most sermons that like look at look at civilizations before you and learn from them learn what have they done and what mistakes they have committed see how is it that you can become a better person and those uh, sermons attract a lot more people because they they pull them out of their cycles of stress of internal external family pressure etc and make them see the light that all of this is not worth it if you're not happy from the inside none of what is around you is worth it if you're being stressed and killing yourself ultimately to um, to try and achieve happiness that's the wrong way to go forward and then when people hear this and then they realize that you know oh, this is the truth and i have been doing something wrong they de-stress and that de-stressing process makes their lives much more simpler and happier and which is why they come back uh, to the same uh, spiritual leader to follow him or to listen to him and that's how the uh, that's how the cult or sort of the, the the group grows and the popularity grows that's how uh, or that is why we have so many sufis in india because uh one the conditions here the living conditions in india are much better than what they are in africa or uh in, in the arabian region as well as even up up north um you know in the turkish mountains in the anatolia region the conditions in india are much better for people to live in the open in the anatolia region one would have to live under the ground you know about 6 mm. 7 floors under the ground to be able to protect themselves because these are sufis these are nomads they don't have construction material around them to to make hutments to make houses for themselves 
similarly goes for the desert regions so if in the desert regions the days are horrible and the nights will freeze you to death and it's sand so a sandstorm could wipe you clean in 25 minutes and no one would know that you know you existed so the conditions in the subcontinent because we don't have any of these harsh conditions available uh, most of the sufis who moved around then settled here they were able to uh, sort of live here for a longer period of time and that is also the reason why we have so many more sufis in multan in in ajmer in delhi delhi of course because it was the capital so a lot of uh, sufis were brought in uh, to ensure that the population was more at rest uh, even multan because of its proximity to lahore which was at one point of time a power center so all of these all of these sufis who came here and settled you can you can do a you can do a map and you'll realize that it's all because of the perfect living conditions that they finally settled in in, in a particular place In 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 Bombay, if, if in what was Bombay till Haji Ali died, Haji Ali used to walk into the sea and sit on a, a set of rocks because he wanted to stay away from the population. He wanted to, um, you know, pray and he wanted to uh, meditate in a peaceful place. And look what what we've done to it today. We actually mm-hmm. made a shrine over it and we made it into a tourist attraction. So a lot more people please come and have a look at this uh, <laughs> place where this gentleman did not want to. um you know uh, meet people now we are sending people by the hordes like go and you know look at his abode and with that we conclude a wonderful episode of footloose with shrey and ish thank you so much walid for joining us and for giving us your very very keen insights into history and civilizations and food and culture and how they're all interrelated and how one affects the other the whole ripple effect um how our lives are shaped by our past histories our, our shared histories and um of course everything you had to say about sufism the the Um, importance of inner renunciation that really struck a chord with me and i foresee a lot of um, a future uh, talks and conversations about spirituality and um, a lot more and i'm looking forward to those conversations as well many thanks again and hope to speak to you soon goodbye